Radio 89.7 FM, this is Arts Monday Sympoesis, streaming to you from the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. The last uh, tune that we just heard, uh, the protest uh, song, was selected by my previous guest, Gabriela Green-Olea, who is developing a work called Kaya as part of the coming March Dance Festival and is looking at dance as protest. And now I am on call to another dance artist. Uh, her name is Patricia Wood. And we will be talking about her work, which is titled Trish and Trisha, and is exploring possibilities and limitations of transmission, telepathy, body as our heart, and more. Patricia, do we have you on the line? Yes, I'm here. Good Hello. morning. Good morning. Where are you <laughs> calling us from this uh, late morning? I'm calling you from my lounge room. I'm sitting beside a, a window staring into a big oak tree on Gadigal land. Is it raining out there? I'm in the basement basically, so I have no idea what the elements are like. <laughs> uh, it's kind of drizzling. It's like not pouring, but it's threatening a little bit. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Not much yeah. sun this summer, but no. trees seem to be happy. So. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, the gardens are thriving. Yeah. Amazing. But yeah, we're lucky we're not flooding at the moment. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and for mm. many other reasons, we are lucky at the moment. Oh, um, yes, absolutely. Very true. Yes. Well, let's let's move to a bit brighter topics mm. and the gloomy weather and the gloomy uh, political situations out there. It's always something that brings joy to our faces and our bodies and it's dance mm. and uh, you as a dancer are currently developing a work called Trish and Trisha as I briefly mentioned when introducing you in it you're engaging in a sort of telepathic conversation with the late postmodern American dancer Trisha Brown before we dive into the details behind the project and unpack what is meant by this telepathic mm. conversation, could you please let us know a bit who Trisha Brown was and why does she matter to you personally? Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned just then, Trisha Brown was a, a choreographer that sort of part of this kind of postmodern avant-garde moment in New York in the 1960s, 1970s, and she amongst a large group of other kind of choreographers and movers and dancers and artists and thinkers, we're sort of working through different ways of moving, working with the body away from sort of an artifice and more with the kind of this idea of pure movement, which is totally problematic. I, yeah. Why? <laughs> but, um, but <laughs> Why do you see it? Because one of the things she was doing is incorporating yeah. pedestrian movements yeah. in, in the artifice of dance. And so yes. is that what you are seeing as problematic? A pure, uh, no, not at all, actually. That's where it maybe gets a little more clearer. Um, no, I guess what am I trying to speak to? Um, I maybe just to fill it out a little bit more, there was also a sense of um, Trisha being quite interested in like process-driven movement so so that she would set up these kind of constraints and then kind of execute them and I'm quite drawn to that I quite like the idea that you set up these things 
and then you kind of do them and then you can kind of look at them and see what you've done and what effect it has and I guess my my response to this idea of purity is that I don't I don't necessarily think purity exists in many forms maybe in a diamond but like yeah <laughs> um yeah the, the pure movement is mix of of many different kinds of interests and experiences and meeting the body where it's at and then the context in which it's moving in mm. um and I'm sort of interested in Trisha um Oh, she also sort of um, began to sort of uh, move into more visual art contexts and then also worked within dance companies and also worked very much on her own and then also had her own company. So she worked in a variety of different contexts. And I was interested in her because of a few reasons. One is that we do we do share a name and I was so curious about that. Like what is it to share a name and to also be working in the same field? And... I'm sort of interested in, in these kind of tracing of lineages, whether it's uh, familial or whether it's a dance lineage. And it was kind of interesting to look at the teachers that I had worked with professionally and in my studies and then trace back where maybe they had intercepted with Trisha or her references or, um, or her peers and to kind of look at the work that was available to me, which was mainly online, and then see what it did in my body and what made sense and mm. what was really tricky to kind of make sense of, yeah. And the way you carry it as a dancer, because you're mentioning how, well, we all are bodies of archives, but especially as a dancer, you're a body of an archive of all the past dancers and choreographers that uh, you have been informed yeah. by and whose movements you've been taught and you carry in your movements the legacies of them in one way or the other some are stronger yeah. some are weaker depending yep. on your um, interests I guess in dance yeah absolutely absolutely and then as yeah. part of this uh, project Trish and Trisha you are as we mentioned earlier looking at this ability to communicate with her although she has died in 2017 I believe so when we yeah speak about communication it's not literal picking up the phone or zoom or whatever it's yeah. actually looking at uh, telepathic communication yeah so, so how does this actually work what, what are you actually doing in the studio when, sure. when you're exploring this so sure. um, i'm using it in quite a playful way i think um but i'm also thinking about what information is passed from body to body without having to speak to it directly and then then I'm also maybe coming at it from a different point of view where I'm sort of beginning to incorporate radio into the work. My grandfather passed away and he, he I inherited uh, his CB ra radio and um, have been using that as a way to think about the ether almost being like another place that could sit above the politics of, of who owns space, who rightfully owns space where we live and then and then thinking about the ether being almost like a, a performance space that could then be a little more free and a little more open where people could meet and be in relation to each other. And so Trisha, <laughs> I've been working a little bit with her archival footage. There is quite a lot of strong documentation of her work, whether it's in books or footage or through people. People, are, the, the company have placed a lot of importance on archiving the material well. So there, there does seem to be a lot of different references to draw from and to sort of just make a sense of that for myself in this body, in this place now, in a way that is maybe constructive or something that can, can be playfully um, built upon. Mm. 
And so some of the things that I do in the studio are to either prepare the body to enter that space or to be open or um, ready to kind of speak to that particular material because I think human beings are are very porous and so there's a lot of information. So it's also about maybe carving direct lines into this stuff. Mm. Um. I love how... Um, when we spoke about this earlier, you mentioned this uh, thing that you call the gap, which is this space of imagination you work with. Because, yeah. as you said, what you know about Trisha Brown is distilled and it's far away from you. You're accessing it through these other mediums. And yeah. there is always going to be a limit to how much you can know about her work. Absolutely, so, absolutely. You said, I need to find a logic and a narrative for myself in my own body. Yeah. Um, is there anything more about this gap that you could tell us how, I mean, you were now speaking about preparing your body. And I think you also mentioned in another podcast I was listening, I think Wombat Radio, where you said that it's, uh, it requires this deep listening uh, in order yeah. to tap into this um, seeming yeah. communication with her. So how, yeah. how does this deep listening, how do you prepare your body? What, 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 is, what is the prepared yeah. body? Yeah, I've been working with a sound designer, Benedict Carey, for a couple of years now, and he, he's also quite interested in this. So we, we share some practices around where you need to place the body to allow that kind of listening to happen, also to kind of um, maybe be in a state where you are actively moving, but instead of, the focus being on what you are producing for another to witness as an external viewer, but what is it actually physiologically doing to the body in its action. So I think it's sort of a play between those and also to kind of shift the the dominant perspective of sight into a more kind of kinesthetic or sonic kind of listening. So it is definitely about doing. Like I think that's also where we just mentioned about this idea of the body as archive and Andrea Lepecki wrote this paper, I think in 2014, maybe, actually maybe earlier, sorry, I'll find that reference. Um, <laughs> you might know actually. Um, but that the body, you know, the body is an archive through doing. So it has this capability to be constantly recalibrating and rewriting, but it is in the process of doing. So kind of proposes when you put, place it within a dance or a performance kind of context, that the body is in action of some... And whether that action is actually sort of maybe a... Um, like I find when I'm dancing, I'm also having a lot of different things to negotiate, whether it is where I'm placing my attention, what's happening in the room, what's happening inside the bodies, like and the body being in relation to each other like body parts being in relation to each other and then taking it into the sort of space we find it in and then sort of almost being able to try and expand it outside this room. And I guess that's where it sort of begins to take on this sort of the potential of this telepathic um, mm. space. So if you think about the kinesiology kind of bubble that surrounds us, that energy mm. bubble, are there practices to really be able to kind of sit in that world and almost try and extend it and push it out? And so they're, they're the kind of, yeah, interesting things for me. And Lepecki also talks a little bit about transformation. Lots of people do, but yeah, this, this idea of transformation is, is very interesting to me because I feel that the body is often in almost these different times simultaneously. So you are moving at the present, but you're also 
using the histories of what you have done before to sort of infiltrate and influence without even being conscious of it mm-hmm. as you are moving through space. But then you're also making decisions that will then affect the future. So it's this kind of amazing sort of place where you're negotiating these different timescales simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And so to me that kind of makes sense that there is this, yeah, if that, if that is a place to practice and to kind of send different attentions then there is these also places that potentially could could meet um but yes it's very very playful and (laughs) again um you know there's sometimes when you're dancing with others that you have these extraordinary shared experiences and and i think there's you know maybe i'm also trying to imagine what that could be like with trisha brown (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going, going. Oh, sorry. So, like, so the ether also maybe exists in a place where we can both be bodiless. Yeah, but it's it's only through being with the body that you're able to kind of escape it. Mm. <laughs> or being without. I mean, being without the body or out of body. You mean you can escape yeah. it? Because yeah, that's interesting. What you're bringing up now is actually you brought up this out of body experiences where you are practicing the ways to move out with your body metaphorically out of the space that the body is in which is as if uh, escaping the the wall or the skin of the body and going into yeah. like expanding the consciousness um, yeah, exactly. yeah, and yeah. connecting but- communicating on another level I, I mean i have this with my father for sure <laughs> like we um who is living um in europe in croatia and sometimes at the same time we have um desire to call each other or be yeah. next to each other um, there yeah. are those kind of things that, that do happen with certain yeah. people that you can have this telepathic we, we call it that way um whether it's a joke or not uh, but certainly feels yeah. like some kind of communication that is not through the normal yeah. ways of or usual ways of communicating and yeah. You have uh, now also touched on uh, this uh, concept of uh, bodilessness, which is the tagline mm. that describes this project on uh, March Dance website. It says, how does one become bodiless? And I didn't want to yeah. ask you what it means. And now I think you're explaining it. Uh, <laughs> but it's all, also connecting to the work that you're doing with Benedict Carey, where you're trying to find ways and modes to translate again or transmit, mm. I guess, this what is physical bodily performance in through sounds or words and I know you also work with language in that with uh, that way of communicating so how do you go about that translating movement into words I think it also goes back to the name so it's a beautiful artist named Chloe Signal who's Australian but works a lot in Europe and I think she she created this uh, place for, for dance writing to exist that was sort of positioning the body as a container and also like words being a container so that they have this capacity also to transform and change depending on who is saying them and in what context they appear within. And I think there is something in that that there is um, by, and I'm aware that I'm kind of contradicting what I just said earlier, but I'm going to go with it, Um, like that there is like um, when you're in the act of dancing, you are using words to locate ways of moving and and to really almost take the body away and just use what is left, what is the residue, what is the kind of atmos that comes from the words. And it's not necessarily looking for a narrative, but I think it's through 
playing with language in a way that draws your attention to different sensations and creates these kind of mm. parallel or, or like multiple multiples simultaneously, even though it also is sort of restrained by the same situation of time only being able to move in one linear. Like you can only say one word at a time if there is only one body. But when you're dancing and thinking and our brains work so quickly that there is these multiple layers happening. And my interest in language is also to remove the body so then if you hear it, are you able to get a sense of what the dance is or what the body is doing? And then what does that do to then your body? So it almost goes into the ether, exists without a body to then land in other people's bodies. It's a bit alien, actually, mm. in some ways. And um, you, you mentioned that in this process uh, so far you have been feeling like you have been failing. Yes, and very so much. <laughs> what are what are the main failures that you can remember? And what, I mean, yeah, sometimes sure. uh, through making mistakes or yeah. failing, you actually discover yeah. things that you would have never even thought about. Yeah, totally, totally. I'm still waiting for that beautiful light bulb moment. Um, <laughs> what have I been doing? I, I think maybe there's a richness that's lost when... Um, so something, maybe when I'm deep in something or deep in dancing, it's quite a internal process. I'm really aware that I'm not totally conscious of what it's producing for an outside person. I'm more focused on what it's producing inside and then what that has the potential to do in the way that we just spoke about, about being porous, rather than it being this kind of image-based thing. So then when I take that information of what I'm working with inside the body and just actually distill it to that, whether it's a list, whether it's a, a series of images, it gets a bit like nonsensical but not in an interesting way. Using one word doesn't necessarily describe the meaning or the feeling or where it's located or what it's in relation to or what's the intention behind it. With an example, I tried, I, I'm very interested in this work that Trisha Brown they call water motor and it was a kind of a collaboration with a filmmaker so it has really interesting documentation in that sense but it's also extremely difficult movement vocabulary but I love it and, I, and it's one of the ones that I've like tried to learn via the internet which is it's is um not what you're meant to do but I I wanted to try um so um but I, I'm really aware that it is her intellectual property and by me attempting to do it, it's a very private practice. It's not actually something I can share with public because then it becomes suddenly the stakeholders in this movement, which is mm. super interesting. Um, so this is a work that was made in 1978. And so my idea was that I would learn it and then as I was dancing it, talk about what I was thinking about and then see if I could put that into the rhythm of her dance. So then if you distilled that, you might get a sense of this kind of very choppy, dancey, like multiple, um, the way that Trisha often works is that it's very, um, there's multiple things happening at the same time. Body parts are being pulled in space and, and then caught up and there's always these like quite extraordinary different kinds of coordination that are happening that are very specific to her which are not ones that I necessarily have in my body so when you're talking about this kind of like lapse or gaps that is where this work sort of begins it's in those moments where I, like, I have no idea how she got there and mm -hmm. so I, I like try to attempt to sort of fill in fill in that space within the work and then she also has this work called Locus that I got a bit obsessed with for a while it's essentially a diagrammatic 
cube. And when I first found out about it, I was at a conference and a woman had learnt it and she refused to talk about it with me because she was like, well, you don't have the right information with you. Like it's, it's a very like secret kind of dance. <laughs> and so I may, of course made me more interested. So I was like, what is this, this like locus? And then anyway, and then it was about the time that things are actually becoming more published and more public. So it was very clear, like it became, yeah, I think um, it went into an exhibition at quite a large gallery, I think. Um, and so suddenly it was clear what the cube was. It was this, yeah, locus was a diagrammatic cube. She used a bio and then created this kind of series of movements that went alongside spelling out these different words. And I thought that was sort of interesting in the sense of, um, well, like I, I'm beginning to think through the cube is not necessarily a, the shape that we um like what happens to the cube as it morphs as it changes as it goes through different spheres and uh and so it becomes quite playful you know and then this idea of anchoring things into space like i i often find bios quite ridiculous because it is sort of like a weird mapping or anchoring off other references to sort of locate you within a you know a art space or a, or a physical space or a, you know like it's, it's a it's a set of kind of locations really mm. um you mean biographies then, yeah like yeah conventional bio, yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah yeah artist bios that we're asked to write so mm. often um, oh those kind of bios short ones yeah, not, not like yeah. full books you, you mean Oh, like no, the, sorry. Yeah. Apologies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like a biography. No, okay. just like the, the small bios, but they're often actually not about the person. They're about what the person, who the person has come in contact with to locate them within a kind mm. of shield as opposed to, yeah. So as, as like a whether value it's... To, to assign a value to this person of a sort. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do they value themselves and with who and what institutions and whatever they want to add in there. But, yeah, there's sort of these conventions. Mm. Um, and it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of a locator. So maybe there's a way to think through other ways to locate yourself in space. Yeah. What, what do you think they would be? Well, I'm sort of playing like at the moment going more into like coordinates. So if I'm imagining that the ether is above then trying to find the map coordinates and then I sort of prepare the space in a way that allows the signals. <laughs> to go straight up so there's a sort of like clarifying where the actual points in space that I think is going to be the place that can can get the message up into the ether into this radio space that, yep. that, that does exist. This kind of probably answers the question what you will be focusing on during this uh, couple of residencies you have coming up yeah. but I also am aware that you said how while you are conscious of what is being produced within your own body as you move mm. as you dance you're not as conscious of what is being produced in the bodies or the minds of the others those who observe and watch so mm. one of the things that you're adding as an element in this development is working with dramaturg and yeah, yeah. I know that this is a relatively new process. Okay. You haven't fully yeah. engaged with this yet. And, and yeah. I believe you mentioned that you haven't worked with dramaturg before. So tell oh. me where did this even interest to engage them now come from, this need, identified need yeah. that you had? Sure. Um, I think it was because coming out of COVID, we spent a lot of time alone. And this work sort of sits well in that kind of space. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I would really love to be able to share this work. And so because I've decided to perform in the work, 
I'm very aware that I can't be in two worlds at the same time mm-hmm. <laughs> in this situ. And so... Although um, with telepathy or something yes, like that, exactly. maybe you could. <laughs> I know, that's what I was just thinking as I was saying it. I was like, oh, that's not true. Um, but for a viewer, they have a different kind of set of needs and desires when they enter into a performance space and to sort of really give energy and care to what they might need to be able to meet this work. And when I'm so in the thick of it, trying to decipher it for myself inside it, um, it just felt very important to have someone on the outside, a few people actually, just to kind of respond in ways that make sense to them with their extraordinary thoughts and experiences. It would be just a very kind of like enriching process. So this year I've been lucky enough to scramble together a small amount to sort of pay some collaborators. So Yeah, Benedict and I will continue to work together and he will help me kind of pirate a series of radios in the space. And then we will also try and work on what this this broadcast potentially could be. So there'll be a second sort of part to the performance, which is something I played with in another work called Transmission Solo that I made actually and presented in March Dance and Dance Massive in 2019, where it's almost like there's two, there's two worlds happening. And I like that. I like that. So um, he'll help me with the tech. And and then Cleo Mees, who's an extraordinary writer and collaborator and friend, uh, would come in and help me so through this process, particularly last year I was making, I was writing to Tricia quite a lot just as a way to kind of get down my kind of questions about what I was doing and, and almost trying to imagine, yeah, what she would, how she would respond um, did you write responses as well well so this is also i haven't quite worked out how to make this happen i'm sort of like trying to find out um there's there's this sort of data um okay i'm not a very techie person so i'm probably going to use all the wrong lingo but there's this um data program that can so supposedly i can give my letter to trisha asking questions to this computer search engine that can then scrape all of the material that uh, references Trisha Brown on the internet and then most likely quite badly but still create a, a response in relation to, to what I'd written to her. Wow. So, like, eventually I would really like to do that and, like, maybe give it a bit of care and time and stuff. But it would be super nice to almost get something that's not driven from me outside. Do you have like, to pay for this? Is this a free service yeah. that exists online uh, or how does it work? There's a friend is sort of works in the field a little bit and he suggested some, some sites that I could go to and begin to kind of work through. But that's a super beginning idea. <laughs> Um, but that's then, yeah. uh, then you're not tapping into this imagining of what she would say you're actually no, relegating it, that duty of a uh, response to um, yeah. this um, algorithm Data. I guess what, yes, I mean, exactly. that's what it is exactly. and so where does Cleo Miss uh, step into that because okay. they're so then, a writer and yeah yeah Cleo's amazing um, so she so I sort of asked Cleo to sort of maybe work with me In terms of writing these letters, they're quite rough and they're quite raw and I just thought maybe I could share them with her and that maybe we could just spend some time together mm. looking at them and proposing ways to sort of be in relation to them and then what that could potentially shift into some sort of 
broadcast. So, um, yeah. Being read as part of this broadcast. Yeah, yeah, or even not even being read, but maybe just being in the vernacular that can be then referenced through doing. So it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to become a stagnant piece. Like I'm not, I'm not so interested in creating like a script. I'm more interested in being an alive and resonant, but that it's really present in the space and it, there are really clear reasons why it's still circulating. Mm. Um, yeah, so, and she and Benedict and I were lucky enough to receive a critical past responsive residency a couple of years ago. And so we began a little bit different, like it wasn't about this work in particular, but we were interested in sort of mapping ephemeral forces and, and sort of trying to, to look what can you distill from that and where does it go? And so Cleo created this really gorgeous workbook transmission workbook that um i think yeah has been circulated around a little bit with Mm. these kind of activities (laughs) things to do and in ways to sort of prepare the body and to 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 think through what is already in a big empty space that maybe we can't see and what are those sort of forces and um yeah Uh, and this year you're also about to book your flight to New York for the first time. And New yeah. York is significant because it is where Trisha Brown worked and her institute yeah. is there. So this will be your first opportunity to actually be in this institute, but also in the place where she existed, where her body moved. And yeah. I'm, um, I mean, you can't answer, obviously, those questions now because you haven't had the experience yet. But yeah. uh, if you can kind of um, jump there with your out-of-body experience in the future yeah. and imagine what will this bring to your project, this ability to be in that environment where she lived and danced yeah it's gonna be amazing i'm so excited um i think like ways to sort of yeah be in and amongst the city will all kind of influence and shift the information that i have um i I feel like the trisha brown's work and the people that came into contact with her yeah it feels like a quite a strong presence and so I'm I don't think I'll have to search too hard if that makes sense um Mm -hmm. I think it'll be quite yeah they're very generous with that sort of information yeah I think it will also propose questions around you once you come into contact with someone else's archive what do you do and who yeah how do you be respectful to that information and still keep it alive and present and so yeah there'll be a lot of interesting moments to negotiate I, i've sort of begun a little bit because one of the other people that i'm working with is lee Searle, and lee is a choreographer and dancer who worked with trisha brown in new york and so he's sort of been my mentor and outside eye for the last year or two and has sort of been yeah, with me through this process so i've already been a little bit you know aware closer of, to the source yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah so that's sort of interesting Mm. um yeah i can't even quite imagine um but that's exciting Well, uh, thank you, Patricia Wood, for being with us this morning at uh, ESED Radio 89.7 FM. Yes. And will we have an, a chance to see any of this uh, development yeah. as part of March Dance, or is it all enclosed behind the doors uh, at this stage? Yeah, unfortunately, we were going to do a showing, but that wasn't able to come together. But I'm quite interested in sharing the work. 
and so I think I'll probably start fairly small, but as the year progresses, there'll definitely be more um, opportunities to engage with the work. And um, yeah, yeah, there'll be some showings coming up. Um, but yes, very thankful to beginning be beginning twenty twenty two with March Dance. Mm. Wonderful. So March Dance is an annual festival now that happens in Sydney throughout the month of March. And uh, today on the show, I have been talking to two artists who are being represented uh, by this festival. They will have residencies as part of it. First was uh, Gabriella Green Olea, with whom I just spoke before. I spoke to Patricia Wood, and their work is called Kaya, and it is looking at dance as protest. And we also, Gabriella and I, spoke about progress that we have achieved or that we are attempting to achieve when it comes to inclusivity in dance. These are the topics that concern. Gabriella. And then uh, after Gabriella, I was uh, having conversation with dance artist Patricia Wood. We were talking about telepathy, transmission, kinesthetic empathy, and sonifying dance, and all that in relation to her project Trish and Trisha, which, as I said, she's developing as part of March Dance Festival. To find out more about each of these works and also March Dance Festival program in general, and there are lots of dance classes and workshops you can join or conversations you can listen to, uh, you can head to marchdance.com. You're on Easter Radio 89.7 FM. This is or almost was Arts Monday Sympoesis. Coming up next is Pino Scuro with Syncopatico. I will leave you with a couple of music tracks and I will be with you in two weeks' time. I believe we will still be covering much dance and having as our guests more of a dance artists that are taking part in it. If you have missed parts of this program or you would like to listen back, you can head to eastsidefm.org slash arts monday stay tuned to east radio 89.7 fm tu nos dices que debemos sentarnos pero las ideas solo pueden levantarnos caminar recorrer no rendirse ni retroceder ve 